Hey, Fenway Rundown listeners, welcome back. Chris Cotillo here from Atlanta at Truist Park. We actually have baseball weather. We have not seen that much this season at Fenway. Obviously, lots of rain, uh, maybe some flurries in Milwaukee, all that type of stuff. But it's been beautiful here this week, and uh, the Red Sox continue their road trip, which wraps tonight, Wednesday night, as we record this. Uh, this week's episode, we're going to do one this week. Introduction to Sean McAdam. Anybody who's read the Red Sox or read about the Red Sox or followed the Red Sox for the last three and a half decades knows who Sean is. He's worked for a lot of places, Providence Journal, Boston Herald, Comcast Sportsnet, most recently Boston Sports Journal. Now he is joining Mass Live as a member of our team. We're going to get into that, some of Sean's thoughts on the Red Sox. So he's been on the show before, but never in a role where, you know, we've been teammates. So it's a uh, very exciting time for Mass Live. We'll talk about what led to the move, what you can expect from our coverage moving forward. And then, you know, Sean's going to have a pretty big role in this show uh, in the next weeks, months, and hopefully years. So uh, welcome, Sean, to the program. I think officially as a teammate for the first time and hope you enjoy it. As promised, the newest member of the Mass Live staff is with us. Uh, if you've followed the Red Sox in the last, what is it, 70, 80 years, you know, uh, yeah, this this guy, uh, obviously, in the Mass Live, we're obviously really excited to have him, Sean McAdam, who is, um, what's the official title, supervising reporter? Columnist slash supervising reporter, correct. Yeah, uh, our, our newest hire at Mass Live, obviously. An exciting time for the company, and uh, we haven't ironed it out exactly yet, but Sean is going to have a pretty large role on the Fenway rundown moving forward, um, which is great because it takes some work off my plate, but also, you know, he has uh, at least a little bit of knowledge on the team. So we're going to use this episode to, you know, introduce or reacquaint you with Sean um, for those of you who, um, for some reason, don't know who he is and, and know his background and stuff like that. But first, Sean... Um, Welcome to Mass Live, and uh, we'll open with this. Like, what what intrigued you about this opportunity, and what exactly are you going to be doing for us? Well, uh, I'm thrilled to be here, Chris, and you know, to join uh, not just a great sports staff, uh, which is one of the most aggressive and comprehensive sports staff in all of New England, covering the Boston pro scene, uh, with at least two writers on every pro beat. Uh, and now the addition of myself and Karen Gregan, who will be joining us next week to uh, help with Patriots coverage. Uh, I would put our staff up against any in the region. And um, as I've said to anyone in, in talking about this move, um, the, the fact that this is a staff that is growing, that is getting more ambitious, uh, that is expanding its coverage and its manpower, um, that's a rarity uh, in this business. I've, I've been on the wrong end of, um, you know, some shrinking staffs in the past, and I'm thrilled to be part of one that is expanding and adding people. And uh, I, I think that together with uh, yourself and Chris Smith, uh, I think we're going to cover the Red Sox as thoroughly as any organization in, in the region and can't wait to get started. Yeah, and, um, you know, obviously it's going to be, I think, a little easier for us to break up who's writing what, with, considering your name's not Chris, which is always a major issue between the two of us, and also when Chris Mason chips I, in I, I was well. asked if I would change my name upon joining Mass Live, and I politely declined. Right, and uh, the other aspect of the, the move to Mass Live is the carpooling from home to work? Uh, occasionally, yeah. We, we haven't been able to uh, uh, to work that out just yet, but my wife uh, works on the business side 
uh, of Mass Live. So now we we are a two Mass Live family, and uh, uh, there's lots to talk about and office gossip and everything else that we can exchange between the two of us um, in different aspects of the company. We'll we'll have spies everywhere, so that's great. Yeah, and uh, this means you can't skip the Halloween or Christmas parties anymore. Uh, as the uh, the plus one with the declined invitation. Yeah, I'm I'm on the hook for all of those obligations now, but um, uh, we, we can give you a ride if you'd like. So yeah, well, thank you. No, light driver's license loading, summer 2023. Um, you've been you know obviously worked for a bunch of places, Providence Journal for a while, um, Boston Herald. NBC Sports Boston, I think it was called Comcast Sportsnet the whole time you were there, most of it, and then the Boston Sports Journal. Obviously, you've seen the industry change so much. I kind of want to get, and this is not like a, it kind of is, you know, a self-serving question because I've been at Mass Live for five years, but in the time you've been around and seen, you know, from the days of Evan Drellick in 2013, like how is your perception of what Mass Live is? How's that, how has that changed? Um, greatly, uh, because of some of the things I mentioned in my first comments about yeah. staff expanding, um, the commitment and the resources being thrown at all these pro beats in Boston. Um, you know, it, it tells me how uh, serious Jim Pignatello, our sports editor and uh, director, is. Uh, it, it says something about Advance Local and their commitment to improving. Uh, sports coverage. I, I think, you know, I, I guess maybe eight or 10 years ago, I would have looked at Mass Live as a, uh, as a very high quality, um, almost, I don't want to say training ground because that uh, diminishes those who were here then, but it seemed to be a lot of younger reporters, not unlike yourself back in 2018, but even uh, before that, between Evan mm -hmm. and Jen McCaffrey and uh, you know, so many, uh, Andrew Callahan, so many people that have Jason too, Jason Master Donato. Um, for many, it was kind of their first serious job covering a pro beat. And so I looked upon it as kind of, uh, an, uh, you know, someplace where you would go, uh, right out of college, perhaps with a lot of talent and skill, but maybe not a lot of experience. And all of those people went on to have jobs, excuse me, elsewhere in the industry, uh, now I, I think it's uh, I, I, I think it's less that and more uh, a group of accomplished journalists, people who have had experience elsewhere, some who haven't. Um, but uh, just the the depth and the quality of the staff is what impresses me, and I, I know I I've gotten that kind of reaction from people when I told them that I was coming here. Uh, I've heard from people throughout the industry who uh, know of Mass Live and particularly of Mass Live's quality Red Sox coverage based on the job that you and Chris have done together. So uh, I'm, I'm not here to step on anyone's toes. I'm here to, um, uh, you know, try to help us get better. I want the two of you to help me get better because I think that despite 35 years of doing this, there's always room for improvement. There's always new things you can learn. And you know the three of us, those you know, the vast majority of people watching and listening to this have no idea about this, but it just so happens, sort of fate, that the three of us sit right next to one another in the press box even before I made this move. Mm -hmm. So you know we've become friends. We've also 
lived together in Fort Myers in each of the last two years, sharing uh, a, a condo there to cover spring training. So we, ought to, we, we have, uh, I think, a healthy respect and friendship and camaraderie that's been built over the last few years. And now it's great to be part of the same team. Yeah, other than the whole you being considered my boss thing, I think that is. I actually the... like that part of it. That was a that was a huge uh, carrot that was waved in front of me. I wasn't quite ready to make the move, and when they said you get to tell Catillo what to do on occasion, I said, "Where do I sign?" Yeah, exactly. So I've made it three days so far, but we're 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 ticking down. We're going to move on to the Red Sox stuff in a second, but I do think a cool kind of side story to this whole hiring process for us is the relationship between you and Karen, which uh, I believe you tweeted about it, but you want to kind of expand on um, what that has been, which I think is a crazy yeah. story. When I was hired, uh, I was on the phone with our boss, Jim Pignatello, and we were going over the details of the job. I gladly accepted. And he said, uh, but things have changed a little bit since we last talked. Um, we're also going to be hiring Karen Garigian to do much the same job on the Patriots beat that we're asking you to do on the Red Sox beat. And I kind of chuckled and he said, um, he said, I was going to ask if you had, uh, if there were any problems in working with Karen, but having spoken to Karen earlier in the day, uh, I got an earful about the background that you two share uh, and I'll share it with people watching and listening. I, I grew up two streets over from Karen Garigian um, I have known her literally, uh, this is dating myself and her indirectly, but I have known her for 57 years. Uh, her mother was my first den mother in Cub Scouts. I was in Cub Scouts with her older brother, John. Um, so Karen and I share a hometown, share a neighborhood, and I've known her for literally decades and decades uh, watched her become one of the more respected sports writers in all of New England and have cheered on her career uh, earlier, covering some baseball and hockey, and then just doing a terrific job on the Patriots beat for, I think, the last 28 years. And Mass Alive is just thrilled uh, to be able to bring her on board. And uh, I'd like to say that, you know, uh, I've known Karen longer than almost anybody, and that's literally true. But everyone who knows of her work and the quality of that work and her commitment to the job uh, understands what a great professional we're, we're getting and adding to the Patriots team. Yeah, and um, considering Chris Mason's there, nice for that to cancel out a little bit in terms of professionalism. Um, I only, he always takes a shot on me when anyone comes, comes aboard, as I always say. When he was hired a few years ago, I think he tweeted, very excited to join all the talented sports writers at Mass Live, as well as Chris Matillo. Right. right. So that's how it goes. We'll the move on to there's not at all predictable. No, no. We'll move on to Red Sox stuff now. Um, because this is a Red Sox podcast. It's not a journalism transfer portal and uh Sean McAdam career biography podcast, as fun as that would be. Um this is I think the last week you've watched probably <laughs> less of the Red Sox than you have in the last you know, at least uh seven, eight years, but maybe the last 35. So um, that doesn't mean that you are not completely plugged in because you are. Um, this team is, I think, better than we both thought. Yep. 21 and 16 as we record this uh, in between. I'm here in beautiful Marietta, Georgia, heading over to uh, Truist Park uh, for the second game of the two-game series shortly. Um, 
horrible starting rotation so far. Pretty good offense. Pretty good bullpen. A team that fights. A team that you know makes it interesting on a nightly basis. Um, where's this team compared to where you thought they'd be when we were sharing that condo in Fort Myers a couple months ago? Uh, certainly ahead and better than I think we projected or anybody on the beat, uh, I think, thought. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my outlook, I, I think I had them for 83 wins uh, for the season. I thought they would be slightly better than 500. And I thought if they stay healthy in the second half, maybe they could play meaningful games in September. And if things break right, maybe you're a contender for that final wildcard spot. Now, uh, you know, 37 games do not a season make. That is uh, patently obvious. But um, I think they have exceeded expectation. And you, you touched on one of the most obvious things, I think, that has stood out about this team. And that's its resiliency and toughness. And, you know, throughout spring training, you hear players, coaches, people in the front office say, you know, I, I get a, a good feeling being around this team. I think there's a lot right. of resolve. You hear that every year, though. Yeah. Ex- well, that's kind of where I was going. That yeah. you have to, you know, when you hear that, you, you, it's all you can do to stifle a yawn because it's such a predictable thing to hear in spring training. Everybody's optimistic. Everybody feels good about where things are going. Uh, but in retrospect, some of the things specifically that we that we heard from staff and baseball ops people and even some veteran players that this team was motivated uh, to kind of show that the people who were picking them last, I had them for fourth. I thought they were going to uh, you know, leapfrog at least a little bit over the Orioles. The Orioles are off to a great start themselves, so who knows about that? But um, you, you do see their ability to come back. Uh, they've had, what, four walk-off wins. They've had a ton of games where they have trailed and had official comeback victories. Um, and, you know, the, those kind of things, I think, uh, are tone setting in the first six weeks of the season because it's almost like I, I compare it to you know kind of putting money into an account early where you can fall back on that experience when times get tougher and look you know they had that stretch where they played 20 days in a row or 19 days in a row and kind of survived that it's going to get harder because in July and August when you have one of those stretches you're probably going to have a double header in there to mix in because of a rain out you're going to have because we're two thirds of the way through the season there are injuries that are going to uh, factor in Um, but I think you draw on the success that you had early in the season hey we've come back we're down three runs going into the eighth inning we've we've overcome bigger deficits than that you you sort of put that in the memory bank and it helps to to draw upon those experiences as time gets tougher Offense is better than I expected, though I suspect not as good as it has looked at its at its apex. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's probably going to be a little regression to the mean there. Uh, as you noted, the starting rotation has been far less um, suitable, and it has to be a little bit of a concern. I, I think Sale is trending upward. Even Kluber, although he hasn't dazzled anybody, is at least keeping them in games the last couple of turns through, which is something he wasn't doing early. Uh, a lot to learn still about Bayo, Whitlock currently sidelined, Hauk, who knows, Pavetta, a disappointment. So the rotation's got to improve because I don't care how tough your lineup is or how good your bullpen has been, and that's been also very good. 
you have to get quality starts most nights if you're going to contend. They haven't gotten that. Uh, you know, technically they've had guys go five innings and give up three runs. Yeah, you're going to win most of those games, but you want better starting performances, and they've got to figure out a way to do that if they're going to stay in the race all season. And that's the biggest question, I think, facing the team that's been the storyline over the last couple of days is what's going to happen with the ro- rotation. Um, as someone with the organization put it to me last night, we, uh, we're going to about to have seven guys for five spots. That means two guys are going to leave the rotation. Uh, I think it's pretty safe to say Chris Sale and Corey Kluber are going to remain. Garrett Whitlock, I don't think they're going to move him back to the bullpen again. So that's three of your spots. James Paxton, they seem committed to letting him get a little bit of run in the rotation. That's four. How do you see, you know, the last spot playing out there between Brian Bayo, Nick Pavetta, who we're going to talk about a little bit more, and uh, and then uh, Tanner Houck as well? Yeah, I, I I think this is pretty clear cut, Chris, what they should do. And I suspect it's going to be what they will do. And that is move both Houck and Pavetta into the bullpen. Uh, I think we've seen numbers already about Houck uh, second and third time through the order. The OPS goes up. The hard hit rate goes up. The barrels go up. He's a guy that even though uh, they'd won almost all of his starts, not the last one, but they won most of his starts this year, um, that's more a function of him being able to give, get them relatively deep into games. By relatively deep in 2023, we mean like the sixth inning. Um, but I think he's a guy that is better suited for the bullpen, whether that's another multi-inning role like they've been doing uh, with both Winkowski uh, and um, uh, Crawford, or whether you use him as another power setup as an alternative to say Chris Martin, uh, you know, so you have all, if if you keep those guys to three or four outs and outing, you're going to have one of them available almost every night. Um, I, I question whether they're going to be able to have as many multi-inning relievers at once, because I think you get into a problem where if you use them on back-to-back nights, two of them, then both of those guys are unavailable for two, three, four days. And you're really starting to piece it together. Uh, Games in which you lead, you're forced to lose low leverage guys like Brazier and Ort and some others when you don't really want to do that. In, in a game in which you're tied or up by a, a run or two. So I, if they're going to have Crawford and Winkowski as multi-inning guys, I say have Hauk be another eighth inning high leverage setup option to go with Martin. Uh, Pavetta is a little different because he's stretched out and he can give you multiple innings, but I suspect he's going to be turned into a low leverage option uh, until he starts performing better. So I, I, I think it's, I, I wouldn't want to, you know, bet the ranch on this, but I would say it's likely that the odd man out are going to be Hauk and Pavetta. Yeah, I mean, the the other thing they could do, which they did a couple of weeks ago in Baltimore, is just option Bayo back to AAA and, and keep him stretched out there to preserve depth. I mean, I, I think that that is an option and then probably keep Hauk in the rotation over Pavetta. But at a certain point, you know, we could have Bayo keep developing in the majors. The ceiling, I think, is just too high to have him, yeah. you know, on the yo-yo. I, I agree. I mean, you know, maybe he could benefit from going down and making three, four, five starts there and clean up some issues with his delivery, uh, fine tune his command, which seemed to come and go at times. Uh, but I think he's too valuable 
He's proven he did it in September. We see it in flashes that he can compete at this level and, and really at times be dominant. I, I do wonder what it would do to his confidence to be optioned back to Worcester again. Could they do it? Yes. It may not be a, uh, a, a deflating thing for him, but I, I think he's proven that he deserves one of those spots. And I think particularly because Hauk can function in relief. We've seen him do a good job there, coupled with some of that data I was talking about earlier, where the stuff really kind of falls off after you go through the lineup a couple of times. I think ultimately long-term, the bullpen is where he belongs. Give Alex Cora another late-inning high-leverage option to come in that can get swing and miss, along with a healthier Chris Martin. I, I think that's the way to go. And Schreiber uh, I would too. hope that Teo does not get optioned. I, I, I don't think that's the right call. Yeah, and a couple weeks ago when he was, he said point blank, and we know he's a confident kid, uh, I think the rest of my development needs to happen in the major leagues. So yeah, and, um, I think he's, I, I think he's correct. And I think, I, I think that's, I think it's going to be part of the equation in the decision-making. And kind of the last thing we'll touch on, this has obviously been something that has really, you know, dominated the news cycle the last 24 hours or so is Nick Pavetta's future. Something we talked about. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to say it went viral because that's way overstating it, but there was a, you know, a short exchange last night post game where I asked him, do you feel like at this point, considering everybody's getting healthy, considering that everybody is coming back and there's going to be only five spots in the rotation. Um, are you considering these to be auditions to stay in the rotation? He did not like the question. I think that was clear to anybody who saw the video. Um, and that is a consistent thing with him that he is, you know, he bristles at any suggestion that he is ever going to be sent to the bullpen does not seem willing to do it. I get to an extent the competitor in him does not want to. Um, but I would have a little concern about buy-in if he was sent to the bullpen. And I know that you have a personal story from spring training that, that kind of you know lends itself to that belief too. Yeah, we were in uh, spring training, uh, and this was early, relatively early, before games began, and that was in February. And... Um, I was a guest on, I don't know if it was High Heat or MLB Now, uh, on the MLB Network. And I was, you know, at the time, there seemed to be that embarrassment of riches that we now see again as they have to make some decisions. And I was asked, you know, who's the odd guy out here? You've got Paxton, you've got Whitlock, you've got Pax, uh, you've got Sale, you've got Kluber, you've got Hauk, you've got Pavetta, uh, you know, they can't have all of them. You can't have a seven-man rotation, can't even have a six-man rotation for any extended period. And I said, you know, honestly, I think that Pavetta is a guy that ultimately is going to be the odd man out. He's going to have to contribute out of the bullpen until such time as injuries or performance opens up the spot. Wasn't a, wasn't, uh, I didn't malign him. I, I didn't say that this guy can't pitch in the big leagues. And uh, later that day, uh, he apparently, the, the whatever show it was, got repeated at noon and he was in the back or working out and saw it and came out and sought me out in the clubhouse, tapped me on the shoulder. I turned around and he said, you think I'm going to the bullpen, huh? And I said, well, yeah, I think that's a possibility once everyone's healthy and they have to make some choices. And he kind of stared at me and I said, look, I didn't say you weren't going to be part of the staff or you were getting optioned. I just said, I think there are other 
choices for the rotation and that you you know they may use you in relief he kind of nodded and kind of it was sort of a like okay we'll see and it was clear that even the suggestion that the red sox w- would one day uh, or, or would would come to such a uh, decision uh, clearly got under his skin and uh, look i understand Last year, the guy took the ball every five days. He made as many starts as anyone. I think he made 33 starts last year. Mm-hmm. That tied for the league lead. Uh, he's been remarkably durable, but he's also been very average. And frankly, that might be a bit of a stretch. He had a right. four well, five the ERA last, last year. The last and, 24 starts, a 609 ERA. Yeah. Uh, and there's also uh, the, the metric that really does not add to it you know, add to his case is his struggles against teams in the AL East. Now, maybe that's less of a concern with a more balanced schedule instead of playing the likes of the Yankees and Jays and Rays and Orioles 19 times, you're only seeing them 13 times. But to me, that says something about his stuff. We know that the American League East lineups with the, you know, on paper, you wouldn't put the Rays among the best, uh, the most talented lineups, but the numbers suggest that they are. Uh, The Orioles are getting better offensively. We don't need to talk about the Yankees and Blue Jays and how good they are from a lineup standpoint. But the fact that the teams, the best teams and the teams that see you most do the most damage against you, to me, that reflects poorly on his standing as a potential starter. It says that teams figure him out and that good lineups get to him. And I think when you incorporate that into the big picture and you have to make this tough call, it makes Pavetta a guy that is a candidate to go to the bullpen. Clearly, you know, my suggestion that that was going to happen and other lines of questioning like yours on Tuesday night in Atlanta get to him. Uh, I, I think he's um, a guy that, um, you know, that look, these guys are professionals. They have pride. Um, most pitchers want to be starters, at least those that have started or have ambitions to be one. And he clearly wants to be thought of as a guy that's going to take the ball every five days. But the fact of the matter is he's not in the top five options of those seven guys. And I think that's going to be made official, you know, I would guess after his next start on Tuesday, which Cora said is still scheduled. I would also think unless something else happens to somebody it's probably going to be his last for a while. Yeah, and you know, I think that at a certain point, you got to take your best five, and um, yeah. this is the team that's in well, contention, and, and uh, I think they're going to do that. Saying how much buy-in? Frankly, that's on him. And to me, you can't avoid making a move because you're wondering how someone's going to adapt to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to make the move and convince him to buy in, and then if he's still disinterested, well, then you have a tougher call to make. But I don't think you can tiptoe around someone's ego when you're trying to put the best rotation on the field. We saw how good he was in relief in the 2021 playoffs. Intense, veins bulging out of his neck. I mean, uh, even the last game of the year in in, in Washington, right? So um, capable of doing it. And I think that that's a decision that, as you said, likely will be made in the next few days. We'll obviously have that all covered on Mass Live. I always say uh, my stuff along with Chris Smith and now along with Sean McAdam as well. So welcome to the team. Thanks, Chris. Great to be here. 